Hi, I'm Rachel, and you're listening to the Tipsy Traveler podcast, where we talk about cocktails, travel stories, and how-tos. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Tipsy Traveler podcast. Today, I'm going to be sharing with you about my experiences in Rome. I lived there, I studied abroad for about three months, and then spent an additional month in Europe kind of hopping around and doing some other things, which will have to be its own episode. Unfortunately, I just won't have the time. But today, we're going to be focusing on Rome and a little bit on Italy. But again, Italy itself will probably have to be an entirely other episode because I was able to see more than just Rome while I was there. So I want to start, of course, with our cocktail of the week, and it should not be surprising to you at all, especially if you've been to Italy, that our cocktail this week is an Aperol Spritz. I'm a big fan of pretty much anything with bubbles. I love bubble water. I love bubbly wine. I love really anything that you can carbonate. (laughs) So an Aperol Spritz is right up my alley. It's super refreshing and light and very brightly orange colored, which I kind of like in this case, though normally I do hate orange, something you should know about me. But an Aperol spritz is really easy to make and it's just Aperol, Prosecco, and equal parts and then a little bit of bubble water on top and then garnish with an orange slice. You can also squeeze a little bit of orange juice in it. That's kind of what I like to do. And I know there are a lot of different versions of this drink because obviously it is quite popular, but this is the one that I like the best and you can find your own and kind of mix around with it and make it your own. So let's talk about Rome. If you know me, you know that on my right forearm, I have a tattoo and it looks like a P with an X over it. So like the letter P with an X kind of on the stem of the P. (laughs) And that symbol is actually called the Cairo. It is the first two letters of Christ in Greek and it's what the Roman Empire used to mark Christians. So the symbol is all over Rome. And I actually got this tattoo about a year after I got back from my stay in Rome. So obviously the city is something that is very important to me. actually when I went to go live there, that was not my first time. I had gone right after my senior year of high school. And of course, I had fallen in love with the city, which really makes sense for me. I am very much a wino. (laughs) I hate saying that word, but it's true. I'm really into history and I love all of the beauty that Rome provides. I think that some younger tourists that I know have been there and thought that it was kind of a boring city, but in my mind, it is like the epicenter of Western history in so many ways. But another reason that I really loved Italy was because the first time I went, when I got home, I, of course, was talking about it. And my grandfather, who had been there multiple times in his life, he also had a deep affinity for Italy, definitely very much into wine. (laughs) And that city was really special to him, and so it became even more special to me. So when I had the chance to study abroad there, I was super stoked. Plus, the study abroad that I got to go on was a sociology study abroad, and I was a sociology major. So I was going to be getting upper level sociology credits while I was there, as well as service credits, because we worked at the Joel Nafuma Refugee Center while we were there, as well as taking our normal like lecture style classes. The specific courses that we were taking were centered around religion, so it was taking a look at how the Catholic Church and Catholicism affected Italy overall, but especially Rome, obviously, that's where we are based, and so we would talk about different popes, we would talk about different churches and different regimes 
for lack of a better word, during history of how the church was regarded. Because in the very beginning, obviously, it was not super popular. And then now, if you look at Italy, the first thing you think of is the Pope and Catholicism. So it's just had a very dramatic shift over time. And so we are taking a look at that. So the University of Washington actually has a UW Rome Center. So my classes were in English with a professor who was from Seattle and her name is Susan. She's really great. <laughs> and they had a building called the UW Rome Center and it was in Campo de Fiore, which is like a campo is like a square. So it's kind of like a marketplace square. So on any given like weekday, it would be just kind of an open square for people to walk around. They would have a lot of outdoor restaurant seating and things like that. And then on the weekends, they would have a fresh market set up there. So it was kind of a cool experience because that's exactly where our classes were held and where our library was. From the window of the library, you could actually see the Tiber River and then also the Vatican kind of in the distance. So especially at sunset, it was really magnificent. It also made it really, really difficult to study in that library because anytime you're in there trying to write a paper, you would look out the window and be like, oh, I'm in Rome what am I doing sitting in this room right now? <laughs> but I lived in an apartment building, maybe 20 minute walk from the UW Rome Center. So if you know anything about the city of Rome's geography, there's the river Tiber that runs right kind of through the middle of it. And so the UW Rome Center was on the east side of that river and our apartment was on the west side. So we had to cross a bridge to get over to our neighborhood and our neighborhood was Trastevere. So it's kind of, or at the time at least, it was kind of like the hip neighborhood. I'm not sure what it it looks like now because this was five years ago. <laughs> and I lived in this apartment with five other girls. We were all taking the same classes, studying in the same study abroad. And it was quite an experience to share a tiny little apartment with a tiny little refrigerator with five other women. <laughs> we learned very quickly that a lot of Italians shop every single day. So like they would run to a market or a grocery store every day to pick up that day's food. It's definitely a lot different than like the American culture of stocking up up on a lot of things and then having things for whenever you get home from work. Eating and cooking is a lot more of a social binding together thing. I don't quite know how to explain it other than like there's a lot more importance placed upon it. Plus, like many big cities, there's just not a ton of space. So small apartments mean small refrigerators. Even in New York City, I'm sure people can relate to that. So we had a refrigerator maybe the third of the size of like a normal quote-unquote refrigerator and we had five people to put food in it so it was really fun for us. <laughs> And while I am going to spend a good amount of time talking about some of the more fun things on this trip, I don't want to gloss over the fact that this trip is also extremely difficult for me. So I was in Rome spring of 2015. So I flew there at the very end of March, right after my birthday, and stayed until like the beginning of July. And unfortunately, in February, a few weeks before I left for this trip that I had already booked and paid for and was signed up for all the classes and all of that jazz. We found out that my grandfather, the one who I mentioned earlier who loved Rome and kind of sparked that intense love for Rome in me, he had been diagnosed with cancer and given about two months to live, which was actually really shocking because he was otherwise very, very healthy and it was just kind of out of nowhere. And so I went to go visit him. He lives in Tennessee. I live in Seattle. So I went to Tennessee right before I left for Rome to kind of say goodbye in a way. And I had just turned 21. So I I was 
pretty young. I mean, at the time, I'm sure I thought I knew what was going on, but looking back, I kind of wish that I had taken it a little bit more seriously because I definitely was under the impression that he was going to get better. Like, I didn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around him dying. We called him Bips. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I'm sure my brother can tell you. He's the oldest grandchild, so he's the one who named our grandparents, naturally. And Bips was a very lighthearted, fun person to be around. And I remember the last time that I saw him just saying to him, like, oh, I'll see you in August when I get back. Like, I'll see you in August. I'm coming back to Memphis in August. And he just kind of, like, went with it and laughed. And, you know, we had had that conversation that if something happens while I'm in Rome, should I come back? And the answer was kind of a resounding no from him because he thought that this experience for me was important and he also knew how broke I was because I was a college student. And so he definitely didn't want me coming back. Anyway, about two weeks into my trip, Bips did pass away and it was such a surreal moment because I felt so utterly alone because I was on the other side of the world from everyone that I knew other than these girls who I had just met, you know, a month prior or whatever it was. And so I was experiencing all these really incredible cultural and historical moments of my young life. And I was also in the process of grieving and trying to understand both at the same time was really difficult. And I know this isn't my normal, like, lighthearted, <laughs> funny podcast, but I think that this is really important because I think that a lot of people who travel often have come across this. I remember talking to my professor the day my grandfather died about this exact thing because her father had passed away a few years earlier when she was leading a trip. And so she had to decide, do I go back? Do I stay here and take care of my students? And I think we're all faced with those decisions at some point or another in life. You know, it may not be, oh, I'm on a study abroad and my grandfather dies. It may not be that exact situation. But I think that there are a lot of moments where we have to decide, okay, what is more important right now? Like, is it more important to go back and be there for my family? Or is it more important to take care of myself and stay here and not essentially drop out of college? Because <laughs> I wouldn't have had to drop out, but I definitely would have had to push back my graduation date. So I had to make a pretty hard decision. And honestly, there are so many fond memories that I have of this study abroad. Obviously, it was a really amazing time and a very transformative time for me, but it also was really difficult. It had its moments of, I'm just sad and I want to go back to my apartment and cry instead of going to tour the Roman Forum or going over to a new cafe that we just found. Like, I rather just go home and be sad. But I also think that right now, as I'm recording this podcast, a lot of us feel this way. A lot of us feel kind of overwhelmed with grief and maybe a little bit stuck because we're all in quarantine. And I think that it's important to remember that you can feel both things at the same time. Like, you can feel really excited for different opportunities in the future or really excited about some things that you're working on right Right now and also sad and grieving because of the state of where we are right now. And I didn't want to pass over that message. I promise that most of my podcasts aren't going to be this heavy, but I just really think that it was important for me to express that right now. So that's what I'm doing. With all that said, some of the th different things that we were able to do that were really, really great. Our study abroad included a lot of like field trips, for lack of a better word. So our professor took us to Naples and to Sorrento and to Florence and to Tivoli. And so we were able to go to all these different Italian cities. And I'm actually going to record an entire episode about those different field trips because there was so much packed into all of them that I don't think that I'll have time to cover Rome well while also covering the rest of Italy well. So look out for that episode in a few weeks. 
Something else that our professor did was instead of giving us midterms, about halfway through our study abroad, she gave us a week off to travel Europe. So I was able to hit three different cities in that week and explore them. Some of them I had been to before very briefly and some were completely new to me. So I'm also going to record an entire episode about that week because it was jam-packed full of different countries and I don't think that I can cover it all right now. But some of the things that I remember most about Rome were like obviously the Roman Forum and the Colosseum. You can throw a rock and hit a building older than America. Like it's crazy how historical this city actually is. As well as obviously some amazing food. And I'm not going to lie, the best Italian food that I had when I was in Italy was in Florence, but the best gelato that I had was definitely in Rome. My favorite gelato was from Giolitti, and I think it's actually the oldest gelato shop in Rome. I might be wrong on that part, but it definitely was my favorite. I think that I liked the overall atmosphere as well, so that definitely played into it. Another gelato shop that I really loved was the one that was in between the UW Rome Center and my apartment. It was right across the Tiber River, so right as you're walking over the bridge, and it's called Gelato del Viale, and I'm pretty sure that just means gelato by the road, but I really like that gelato shop because I got to know the people that worked there because I stopped by so often, pretty much every day after class, <laughs> because I had to pass it on my way home. And so why not? It was only like three or four euro for gelato. And I'm like, yeah, always down, always down for that. It also just made me feel really good when I started to be able to order my gelato entirely in Italian. <laughs> I don't speak fluent Italian by any means, but I was able to pick up on a good bit when I was there. It's also very similar to Spanish, so that helped a lot. So whenever I was finally able to walk into that gelato shop where they all kind of knew me and order all in Italian, it just felt like, oh man, like I kind of actually do live here. <laughs> and obviously, you know, I'm not Italian. It doesn't make me Italian, but it definitely felt like like I was starting to blend in more and more, which is always kind of a good feeling when you're traveling. One of my insider tips, which I don't even know how insider it is, but something that I didn't know before I lived there was if you ask for your gelato con panna, that means with cream, they'll give you whipped cream and it should be free. This was something that my professor told us about and she feels very strongly that if you go into a gelato shop and you ask them con panna, can I have it with cream, and they charge you for it, that they are not a real gelato shop, that they are actually meant for tourists and they are not an Italian, like authentic. Italian gelato shop. So something to keep in mind while we're on the subject of talking about desserts, another restaurant that I really, really loved was called Dar Poeta and they had really great pizza. But if I'm being honest, pretty much everywhere had a really great pizza. So I wasn't as concerned with that. What I was concerned with was their football size Nutella calzone. <laughs> it was pretty much exactly how it sounds, just a bunch of Nutella served inside a calzone and covered in powdered sugar. If you haven't pieced it together by now, I have a really, really big sweet tooth. So this is something that speaks to me. However, I would not suggest ordering one just for you because while I have a very big sweet tooth and definitely wanted to eat the entire Nutella calzone myself, I was not able to. So definitely share it with one or two or maybe even three other people depending on how much you think you can take because it is pretty decadent. Something else that we did pretty frequently, actually my friend Joy and I did this more than pretty much anyone else I think, but we would go to the grocery store and grab a cheap bottle of Prosecco. And when I say cheap, I mean we could buy this for like four euros, which is maybe four and a half dollars depending on the current exchange rate, but definitely not 
that expensive. But we would grab this Prosecco and find a new park or a new statue because a lot of times there are statues in like little squares. So different campos have big open areas with a big statue in the middle and there's generally like a couple steps around the statue that you can sit on. And there are no open container laws prohibiting you to drink in public. So we would just take our bottle of Prosecco, go sit in some kind of crowded area and people watch and just kind of chat. And it was one of my favorite things to do. It's still one of my favorite things to do anywhere is just go sit in a really crowded space and people watch. And those are some of my fondest memories are the the nights that we would take Prosecco out somewhere and just kind of people watch and enjoy the city. Something else that's really fun about Italy is that their train system is pretty nice. Like it goes almost everywhere. It can be a little confusing. There are a lot of like very particular rules and I think I've messed it up more than once. So definitely pay attention to what you should be doing because a lot of times you need to buy tickets in advance and then you need to have them printed. You can't just have them on your phone. So make sure that you're paying attention to whatever that particular train company wants you to do (laughs) so that you don't get fined or anything like that. But we would take a weekend and hop on a train and go somewhere fun. And I'm going to share two of those stories really quickly of hopping on a train. So if you don't know, Rome is close-ish to the Italian coast, but it's about an hour train ride to get there. And so we definitely did that. I think I did that two or three times. But one of the times that I remember very vividly was with my friend Joy and my friend Mel. And we went out there for the day and we were not paying very close attention to when the last train back into town was. We almost missed it. I think it was like two or three minutes of buffer that we were sitting on the train that started to go and then we like pieced together that oh this is the last train into town I'm really glad that we decided to come back because we were kind of dragging our feet and not really paying attention. Another little town that I ended up in one day was called Orvieto and it's kind of north of Rome in the Tuscany region so it's this tiny tiny little like hill town and honestly all we did was walk around and explore kind of pop into shops eat lunch like sit at a park. It wasn't like there were a ton of touristy things to do. They didn't have any vineyards, at least not that we found. It was just like an adorable, picturesque, exactly what you'd expect of a little Italian town. And I think that that day was one of my favorites because it was very slow, but everything was so new. So there was a good combination of like adventure, but everything felt very safe and welcoming and accommodating. Another story that I really love to tell is how my friend Mel was convinced that she spoke Italian anytime that she got drunk. Really what she spoke was a little bit of Spanish and a lot of confidence, (laughs) but it came across to most people as words that they could pick up in Italian. So it was really fun to go out and about with her and have her have a drink or two because she would immediately start speaking, quote, Italian to bartenders or waiters, and it was really exciting to watch. But overall, a lot of living in Rome was a lot like living in Seattle. We had classes to go to, we had expectations and papers due, we had friends and we would go out and do fun things, but we also had a lot of days of, it's pouring down rain, what are we supposed to do today? And then coupled with some really great experiences, like playing soccer right by the Colosseum, because there's a park that kind of overlooks the Colosseum, and it was a very surreal moment of like, wow, one of the oldest buildings in Rome, and here we are just casually playing soccer. (laughs) Ooh, and speaking of soccer, I actually went to my very first football game while I was there. 
And it was Roma versus somebody else. Literally can't remember. I'm not a big soccer fan, sorry. (laughs) But what I remember is how crazy it got because people were like setting things on fire and yelling and screaming and the entire place was packed. Like it wasn't a playoff game or anything special. It was just like a random Friday evening game. And we were sitting in the very last row and it seemed like everyone around us was just losing their minds. And we were like, cool, soccer, woo, go Rome. I don't know. And I mentioned a bit ago about rain and how like rainy days, it was kind of a struggle to figure out like what to do because it would pour down rain. And so most of the time it was like, I guess we're just staying inside. Maybe we can brave it if there's something important's going on. And there was one particular day that was important enough to brave the rain and that was Easter Mass. And I know this has come up on other podcast episodes, but I'm not super familiar with the Catholic Church. I do end up in a lot of churches while traveling, especially in Europe. There are a lot of really amazing, beautiful buildings to explore. So of course, on Easter morning, the Pope was giving a Sunday Easter Mass and we decided to go. Not only was it pouring down rain and pretty cold out, actually. It was also entirely in Latin and translated into Italian, but definitely not in English. So there were maybe 10,000 people there. I don't quite remember the number, but it was huge. I mean, it was Easter morning at the Vatican, so obviously it was a big deal. So we stood in a giant crowd of people in the pouring down rain, listening to the Pope talk for maybe 30, 45 minutes about who knows what, because we could not understand. (laughs) But it was kind of cool to see the Pope, even from a distance, was like, wow, this feels like historic in some way. I don't know. It was as, you know, a 21 year old, this was never something in my mind that would be possible. You see the Pope on TV. He does like cool political things. And it's not really something in the realm of possibility in my mind to like be in the same vicinity as the Pope. But it's actually surprisingly easier than you'd think to go hang out with the Pope. (laughs) I use hang out pretty loosely. So that was quite the experience. After classes wrapped up in Rome, I went and met my dad and some friends in another country, and I will talk more about that on another episode. But I think by the time that I got home a few months later, a lot of my expectations had shifted. I had now had more time in another country than I ever had before, which came with a lot of hard things, like feeling homesick for the first time, because before that, I had never really felt that way. And then feeling like I belonged and I was included, and then back to what am I doing here? I don't belong here. And then kind of ending again with a, no, like I have lived here. I'm not a local by any means, but like I know enough about the city to be like, this is a city that I've lived in. So I think it shifted a lot of my expectations. And by the time I got home to finish college, I felt more prepared to handle what was going to be thrown at me in the years to come. And it's definitely made me want to live in Rome again. I joke very often, and it's not actually a joke at all, but I tease my boyfriend all the time that I'm going to buy a winery in Tuscany and that that is my retirement plan. And I'm not really joking. (laughs) I have every intention of living in Italy again at some point in my life, just because it feels like a home away from home for me at this point. It, It feels like somewhere where I belong. So while I could sit here for another hour or two and tell you about all of the days that I I spent laying in bed eating pounds and pounds of Nutella, or the times that we would go out and try and find cats at different parts of ruins in Rome because there are apparently cats everywhere. I'll save us all that time and just say, overall, the experience of living in Rome was something that was very transformative for me. 
On next week's episode, I'm going to have Kevin and Hannah, otherwise known as the Married Mixologists. They're going to come on the episode and talk a little bit about alcohol and traveling. And I think we'll talk a good bit about Hannah's experiences as a female solo traveler, which I think will be a really great perspective because obviously I can sit here and tell you about my travels, whether it's with someone or by myself, but ultimately I'm not the only one who travels. And so I'm excited to have a different perspective on the podcast next week. In the meantime, feel free to reach out and give us suggestions for episodes in the future. We have a good number coming up with all kinds of different topics, but I always would love to hear feedback from you. So keep me in the loop about what you want to hear.